Judges chapter number 14. We'll, uh, we're going to start this message. This is actually number eight in the series of Facing Your Giants. And uh, I've taken some time uh, off of this, you know, one just for a couple holidays and a couple, you know, seems like, I guess probably October is the last time we really preach from this particular series. Just had a lot of things going on, um, but uh, I kind of struggled with whether or not to start it up now or start it up in um, January. Um, but I really would like to be able to get through this. Of course, we're we're facing the the clock or the calendar rather. Uh, but uh, I, I think right now it'd be good for us to at least uh, get back into this, especially this one, this giant of lust. Uh, and the reason being is because. I believe it was last year, um, we, we ended, I'm trying to remember, we ended the year with telling you there was still some time to do some things, to close some doors, um, in 2020, going into 2021. And in 2021, we began in that first Sunday, uh, out of First Corinthians 15, 58, and we made that our our yearly verse. And many, if not all, of the messages that we've preached have pointed back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And so I really would like for us to uh, get a hold of some of these giants, really get a hold of them by the horns and uh, get some victory over them uh, before we get into the new year. And uh, my plan is still uh, to kind of continue that uh, template of having a verse that we we try our best to preach from uh, throughout the year or point back to, and so trying to get a few of these out of the way, <clears throat> I feel like is the best way to do that. Uh, but Judges chapter number fourteen, verse number one, two, and three is what we'll read tonight. He, uh, the scripture says, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. And then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou go, that, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Father in heaven, we ask you for your touch tonight. Father, we do pray that you'd help our thoughts, Lord, the the study. Lord, we pray that you'd bring it to our minds. Allow us to be able, Lord, to speak freely, to speak with authority, Lord, to speak with compassion. Lord, we pray that you'd help your people tonight. And God, I, I don't in any way, shape, or form think that any of us are lustful. But that's the thing about this giant of lust is that it can creep in unawares. And so, Father, we pray tonight that you'd allow this, Lord, to be a warning for us, Lord, but also to be a, um, a, 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 a template, if you will, that we can live by so that we uh, avoid this sin of temptation or this sin of lust. God, we pray that you'd help your people tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, we live in a world, um, and I, 
I hate saying that because it's so cliched, but we live in a world uh, in our day and time that people seem reluctant to even admit that they struggle with this idea of lust. And it can happen on the front pew, it can happen on the back pew, or out these four walls today. Uh, but I believe that there is this giant, and it's a giant of perceived pleasure. It's a giant known as lust. And uh, there are, uh, this giant will affect men, and this giant will affect women, and this giant will affect younger folks as well. And so none of us are exempt from this. Some may be too young to deal with this giant. But give it time, give it time, give it time, and uh, they will have to deal with this giant. And so uh, we want to try to give you this as um, tactful as I can tonight. Uh, but at the same time, I want to give it to you boldly and out of God's Word. So if you'll help me preach it tonight, uh, I'll do the best I can. I will not try to finish the entire message uh, unless time allows, but I don't think that it will. Uh, but we ask the question first, what is lust? The definition of lust is a craving, a longing, or a strong focused desire, listen to this, for what is forbidden. As parents, we see this constantly in raising our children. Don't touch that. One of the first things we tell them not to, don't touch the oven. What do they want to do? Want to reach up and they touch it. They want to reach up and touch the heater. They, out in the fire, they, this, 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 I just remembered this. Um, brother Stennett Ballou was preaching, um, uh, quite some years ago now, but I was listening to it Monday or Tuesday and, uh, he made the illustration I'm just going to take my time, but I, I, I want to try to get this out. He made the illustration about a a man that lived out out west somewhere, and he had some children, and he wanted someone. He searched everywhere for someone to watch his children while he and his wife rode into town, and he couldn't find anybody. And one of his, um, I guess you might say, hands on the ranch or whatever. Uh, they said, boss man, I, I'll watch your kids. He said, no, you don't have any children of your own. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to expect. He said, man, if I leave my kids here, they're going to fall in the fire. Uh, he said, They'll, there's no telling. They'll tear the house down. He said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of them. He said, you absolutely promise me you can handle these kids, and you promise they won't fall into the fire. They won't get hurt or anything. He said, boss man, I assure you they're not going to get hurt. And so sure enough, the day came when they, him and his wife went into town. They took care of business and on the way back, it was getting dark. And they saw, literally, they saw flames shooting out the chimney and panic ensued. They began to panic and they rushed in and they saw the, the fireplace absolutely roaring with flames. And they saw the man that was supposed to be watching their kids in a rocking chair across the, the way just whittling on something with his pocket knife. And then the kids in a completely other room, nowhere near the fire. And the man went to the one that's supposed to be watching his kids, and he says, what in the world is going on? Why do you have such a big fire? He said, the kids can get into that, and they'll just burn up. You burn the house down. He said, boss man, you don't have to worry about it. He said, see, I built the fire big enough that they knew that it was dangerous. He said, what you've been doing is you've been building these little fires, and they've been tempted to get in it. They've been tempted to burn themselves. He said, but I built the fire big enough and strong enough and loud enough that they were fearful to be around it. 
And so tonight I want the message to be big enough and loud enough and strong enough that we're fearful to be around this idea of lust because it will absolutely uh, leave someone destitute and uh, their lives will fall apart. And so tonight I want to deal with this definition, this craving or this longing, this strong focused desire of what is forbidden. I want us to look at Samson. When we think about, when we think about lust in the Bible, I'll be honest with you, Allie, there's two people I think about. David and Samson. Those are the ones that I think about. And, and, and there's a lot of others. The Bible is full of great men. And the Bible is full of men that weren't so great. The Bible is full of great men that struggled with some things as well. And so this is one of God's men. This is Samson. He was a judge. And the Bible will mention this later. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 11 that he was a man of faith. And so he was a judge of Israel. He was a godly man. And uh, we need to learn something about him. And you know the story. You know that he fell. You know that he laid his head in the lap of Delilah, which, by the way, is a different woman than here in chapter number 14. Uh, but you, you, you find that he laid his lap there, his head in her lap. And uh, as she stroked his hair, as she stroked his ego... He began to tell her the truth of his strength that it came from God in his hair. And uh, before long, he was blinded, he was imprisoned, and he was rotting away in jail without the touch, without the, the very presence of God. We can read that some other time. But it says that when he uh, was come upon by the Philistines, Brother Jody, he shook himself as at other times, and he wist not that God had departed. He knew not that the Lord had departed from him because he was, he, he had gotten too comfortable, brother Bobby, in the lap of Delilah. Now y'all, it's okay to help me on a Sunday night. He got too comfortable in the lap of Delilah and so we find that he was imprisoned, but finally, finally his hair began to grow and God began to touch him again and he was victorious once again as a last effort of obedience to God. But I want us to deal with this facing the giant of lust. Number one, Samson was a man of promise. He was a man of promise. And and a lot of times when God wants to do a great work, when he wants to deliver a people, he sends what we recognize as one of the most frail or fragile, defenseless things known to man. We dealt with that this morning. A little baby. If you look in Scripture, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, He prepared a little baby named Moses. When God delivered a revival to Israel, God sent Samuel to Elkanah and Hannah. When God decided to save the world, again, we talked about that this morning he decided to send his only begotten son as a baby. And so in the previous chapters here, in chapter number 13, Israel is now needing a deliverer, and God sends one in the form of a child. In chapter number 13, it says in verse number 2, 
And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. Verse 3, there was an angel that appeared in the middle. It says, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Then, she, then the angel begins to lay out some things here in verse number 5 uh, down through verse number 10, I believe it is. But Samson was given at the right time for the children of Israel, and he was given by promise. He was promised to a man and a woman, but he was promised as a deliverer for Israel at the time. If we look down in verse number 4, it says, Beware, he says, Drink not wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. He says, Thou shalt conceive... And bear a son, no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So now we find here that this word Nazarite comes into play for Samson. And in this we have to understand what it means. And so we look over in the book of Numbers chapter number 6 verse number 1. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses. He said, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either a man or woman shall separate themselves with a vow, uh, or excuse me, separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord. I've got a little bit of reading here, so bear with me. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine, and no vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, therefore, shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled in which he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy." And shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. And all the days, this is verse 6, And all the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or mother or brother or sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. So we ask you just a couple questions. Do you get the idea of what a Nazarite is from Numbers chapter number 6? But uh, let's go a little bit deeper into that question. Uh, do you get the idea? Nine times in those eight verses, God speaks about separation. Nine times in eight verses, God mentions He separates Himself, or He that separateth, or He is separated unto. And so there is this idea that being a Nazarite, and the, the Apostle Paul also at one time vowed a vow of a Nazarite. And so it may not have been a lifelong event, but for Samson it was. From the day that he was born till the day that he died, it was ordained that he take the vow of being a Nazarite. And in doing this, we find that even in this man of promise, we find that there is a 
separation. He says, I'm going to give you this boy, but he is going to be separated. I love what is said there in verse number six or seven. Uh, well, it was actually verse number eight. He says, because the consecration of his God is upon him all the days, verse number eight, of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. And so this is a separation unto God. Uh, there are many times that we may fast for a specific reason. Uh, we may separate ourselves from, from this thing or that uh, for a season of time. But it's usually for a purpose. It's usually for maybe a fast could be a prayer request or a season of prayer or maybe doctor's orders, whatever it may be. Uh, but he was doing this not because of his own desires, but because God had commanded... Uh, that if he was going to deliver his people, he was going to take this vow of a Nazarite, and he had to stick with these prerequisites, if you will. So, we ask ourselves this question tonight, are we to separate ourselves from everything that is enjoyable in order to abstain from the power of lust? Well, I guess simply we can say no. I felt eyes roll. We, we cannot separate ourselves from everything that is enjoyable in order to abstain from lust. The reason why is because desire is wonderful and it is from the Lord. God gave us a desire. There is, uh, in Psalm 37 verse number four and It says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, I'm going to be personal. My wife's not here, but I'm going to be personal. Uh, And I've I've told you this before, but uh, I had dated a few young ladies before I moved to Tennessee. But when I got to Tennessee, uh, I really began to seek the Lord in finding a wife. Now, I'm going to help some of you young men and some of you young ladies. You need to quit trying to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend and start praying for a husband or a wife. Can y'all say that one more time? And the reason being, and I will counsel any young man or any young woman, especially a young man, because they they seem that it don't really matter to a young man to break somebody's heart. Okay, they just kind of do it and, and move on with their day. But to that woman, that young lady, man alive, it just change, it just shatters her life. Now there are some young women, some of you men might help me. There are some young women, they don't care anything about hurting nobody's heart either. Alright, but typically it is that, that boy that will say, well I'll go out with you for a little while. I'll, um, I'll, I'll go, I don't even know what the terms, I've been married for so long, I don't even know how to date Brother David, thankfully. <laughs> but, but Brother Jody, you, you ain't been married nothing but, but a, a couple months, so it's still fresh for you. Um, you know, I, I'll date this girl. I'll go out with her. I almost said go steady, but I didn't grow up in the 50s. I promise you. But, you know, I'll go out with her for a little while. And then if I don't like her, I'll just, I'll just go somewhere else. Well, that sounds macho and that sounds manly. But, but what about praying for a, a wife and, uh, and, and allow God to kind of press the go button 
on the right one. And not just going with, with every person that goes. Can y'all help me tonight? Not, not just going out on a date here with this one. Well, how do I know if I like them or not? Well, sometimes you let God do it and He'll mesh it all together. I'm going to tell you something. There ain't nothing about me that my wife ought to like. I've known myself for 42 years. I know. There ain't nothing that my wife should like. But for some reason, in 2000 or so, she kind of started liking me a little bit. And somewhere after that, she started loving me. Now, I didn't have anything really to give her. I didn't have a bunch of money. I didn't have a great education. Uh, you know, I wasn't nothing, nothing really to look at. I, I know y'all don't believe me, but I'm telling you, I'm like this all the time, okay? I'm just this ugly all the time. So there was not a hope, but there was something that was, I believe there was some prayers that had been offered up. Now, I know there was on mine, Brother Kenny, because I'd sit at the house and I'd pray. I'd pray for God to send me a woman. Now, I was specific, Miss Barbara. I wanted a woman that was pretty, one that could play the piano, and one that could sing, and one that liked me for who I am. I, I, I can't change, brother, brother Jim. I can't change. I tried it. I can't do it. And so I needed some. And when I say a woman, I'm talking about a wife. I wanted a wife. And Lord, and I started dating, and I said, "All right, Lord." Now I need us to love one another. If this is who you want, I need us to love one another. And sure enough, God knit our hearts together and we begin to love one another. And there's been a lot of times where maybe, maybe it didn't really seem like love. It seemed like, like a love-hate relationship sometimes. Every husband and wife, you go through those times where you're aggravated at one another. But I'm telling you, I'm glad that we can, and I'm not being gross or anything, but I'm glad that we can kiss and make up because God has put us together. And so we find here that this desire comes from God. Now I realize Psalm 37.4 is not specifically talking about a wife or a relationship. Understand that. Understand that I understand that. But tonight I want us to know that God allows us to have desire. I want to go one step further, kind of step out of the message that I'm preaching. But men, young men, God's desire, God's design is for you to desire a woman. Women, God's design and desire is for you to desire a man. Listen, only two check marks, male and female. Can somebody give me a witness right there? There's no sense. There's no, don't come to me and say, well, I feel like maybe God made me, I'll punch you in the nose. That's not how that works. It's not, God didn't, don't blame that stuff on God. He's, mm-mm. Here it is. Inordinate desire becomes lust. That desire for, for that woman, that desire for that man, when it becomes something that consumes you in a negative way, when it becomes inordinate, in other words, it is not ordained by God. It is unnatural. It, it, and that is when it becomes lust. And uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. I made a note of it. 
In James, we'll mention this a few times, but in James chapter number 1, we see this scripture, I believe it's verse 14 or so, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Enticed, rather. And so we see here that uh, Samson, almost called him Samuel, he is a man of promise. God promised him to... Manoah and God promised him to his mother. But in this, we also understand that there were some things that he began to go away from. This vow, this vow of, of a Nazarite. I told you that he was called faithful. I told you that, uh, Samson was called faithful and he was. But there were some times that he wasn't faithful. Throughout his life, he can be considered a man of faith. But there were some times that he wasn't considered as faithful. So I need to go back a little bit to this idea of desire. In Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 4, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. It says, But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So desire comes from God and God provides for the appropriate fulfillment of these desires between a husband and a wife. Now, we could we could start throwing around these big Bible words, adultery, fornication. But I'll say this, any and I know there's some young folks here, but they heard worse than this on TV. And it's better to come from here than it is from there. Any sexual relationship outside of the bond of marriage is wrong and it is a sin. You can try to qualify it and quantify it if you want to, but if it is intimate in nature and you are not married, it is wrong. Y'all still with me on this Sunday night? I, I, I see it all the time. Don't matter what ch- channel television. I'm talking about don't matter what channel television. It does not matter where you go. You see such, and I'm, I'm, I'm not so old fashioned that I, I don't want you to hold hands. I'm going to tell you something. When a man and a woman out in public are just falling all over one another, you see it on television where they wake, you know they're not married and they wake up in one another's bed. That's a problem. And it ought not be, it ought not be so amongst Christians. There was a time when, when, uh, brother David, I think you know, uh, John Rickenbacker, or at least heard of him. I don't know what he's doing now. I don't know anything about it. But I remember being at a youth camp meeting down in Homosassa Springs, Florida, and he preached flea fornication. And it, like I said, it was a youth camp meeting, Samuel. And I mean to tell you, sure enough, he preached it. Every one of us was convicted. And I didn't even like girls at the time. But I felt guilty, Brother Jim. But for quite a few years, this idea of fornication, this which is defined as sexual relationships before marriage, adultery is while you are married with someone other than your wife or husband. And so... This idea of fornication was so pressed upon the young people, rightly so, 
that I believe that there was a generation gap. And those older Christians, uh, my my parents' age, maybe the, the generation before me and some others, they were left in limbo. And because they were saved and mature, they could do whatever they want to. Can I tell you tonight, whether you're 12 or 120, those type of relationships outside of marriage is wrong. It doesn't matter. Now, Let's go a little bit further. I told you we wouldn't get far. And this is definitely not a Christmas message. But we see repeatedly in Scripture that God takes pleasure in the pleasure of His children. Just as a earthly daddy, if he presents a gift to his children and he sees them smile and sees them laugh and giggle and hug that teddy bear or or start playing that video. Whatever it is, it gives joy to that daddy or that parent because his children have pleasure in those things. So does God have pleasure in the pleasure of his children. But it must be held within the bounds of what is appropriate. Now, I'll say this just as an illustration, we'll try to hurry. But a fire at a campground or at a campsite, it is desirable. It's desirable for warmth, for aesthetics, it's desirable to cook on. But if that thing gets out of hand, it can destroy everything in its wake. So too it is with water. And that little bubbling brook out by the out by the house, that creek, that uh, that little stream, that lake out by the house, that's all well and good. But you let too much water come through there, and it'll begin to uproot trees. It'll move rocks. It'll move houses, and it'll absolutely destroy those things in its path. So even those good things that are desirable, desirable fire and wind and water can become undesirable and dangerous. So is this idea of lust, if you will. Samson's life was to be a life of promise. Now, this would only be realized if he lived this life of obedience and he submitted to the plan of God of being a Nazarite. I want you to notice number two, and this is where we'll end tonight. Let me finish this point. Samson was a man of power. In Judges chapter number 13, verse 24 and 25, And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, listen to this, the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. So he was a man of power. It's said of Samuel and it's said of other judges that they, uh, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. So he was no exception to that. God had put these men and these women in the position of a judge of Israel and the Spirit would move upon them. The Spirit would give them direction in one place or the other. But here in verse number 24, it is only said of Samson as a judge, that the Lord blessed him. doesn't say that the Lord blessed any of those others in the same way that it did Samson. 
He was a man of God's power, and he was a man of blessings. Now, we don't know everything there is to know about Samson. We have a a great list of things that he did, that he was able to accomplish. But as we look at some of those things, we have to understand that there were also many other things that we don't know. You remember he killed a lion with his bare hands. He slew 30 Philistines with no weapon. He caught 300 foxes. He tied torches to their tails. He he broke those attempts to bind him. He slew 1,000 men with a jawbone. He broke away and carried off the gates of the city of Gaza. He destroyed the Philistine amphitheater in his death. And so there's no question that this man who had seen first-handed the power of God on his life, he, he, Brother Jody, this wasn't just fairy tale that he heard about. He saw the power of God in his life. He saw God move. He felt the strength of God in his own body. Samuel Rideout said this. He said, God never allows the enemy to gain power over us unless it is a result of our own failure. He never allows us to be brought under the power of evil unless there has been a departing from himself. I'm I'm so wanting to get back to our men's Bible study in Romans chapter number, or or in Romans, if we can ever get out of chapter 1. But in Romans chapter number 1, we see this. I'm not going to read everything, but verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse number 26, God gave them up unto vile affections. But then all of a sudden in verse number 28, he says, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So what what is happening there in Romans chapter number 1 is God is giving them up to their own desires. He's like, you want it? Go ahead. But he's still showing them grace. And they still rebelled against God and God gave them up to their own desires again. And they still rebelled against God. And finally, God gave them over. In other words, he wiped his hands and he says, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Uh, It reminds me of Hosea chapter number four, I believe. It talks about Ephraim or Ephraim. And it says, Ephraim has joined themselves unto idols. Let him alone. Don't have anything to do with him. Don't call him. Don't text him. Don't send him a card. Don't go to visit him. I don't want anybody to... He's giving him over is what's happened. Now, by the end of Hosea, and the word Ephraim means fruitful. So in essence, he had become unfruitful. And God said, let him alone. By the end, he had repented. And he become fruitful again. So what is happening here... According to Samuel Rideout is these men that are given over to the power of evil or given up, uh, given up or over to the power of evil is a departing from God on their behalf. In other words, they've, they've disobeyed God. They've departed. They've broken fellowship. And because of that, he's, he allows the evil of their own making to come into their life.
I'm going to say this carefully. I, I feel like maybe I've said it before, but I need to say it again. <clears throat> there was a young lady that, that I, I knew, maybe even recently I said this. There was a young lady that I knew, and she had she she rebelled against everything that I had taught her, rebelled against things that her parents taught her, and she started living a life of a lesbian. She began to have health issues. And the doctors could not find out what was wrong. The doctors could not determine what was causing the issues. And everybody would pray for her, pray for her, pray for her. And Miss Tanya, I'm not being, I'm not being mean when I say this, but I could not, I could not pray for her because of this illness. It's as if in my own spirit, God said, she has joined himself unto idols, let her alone. I could not, Miss Tanya. Because I knew that the reason, and I'm not being, I'm not being charismatic, brother David, I'm not trying to say that I had some insight or anything, but the reason I could not do it is because I knew that what she was going through had nothing to do with some physical sickness. It was all spiritual. You know what happened? She continued to live. She continued to do what she wanted to do. Those illnesses, they quit happening. You know what I'm afraid of? God was giving her up. God was giving her up. And I'm afraid God's giving her over. Now, I don't say that to be... I mean, I'd put I'd put my arms around this girl and I'd love... I'd cry with her. I'm talking about I loved her. But sometimes... Even those ones that you love deal with this giant of lust and they'll fall headlong and they'll succumb to its grasp. You gotta be very careful. There's many of us that have seen the power of God in our lives. We've seen God move. We've seen God work. We know what it's like to, to be a vessel of God. I mean, I, if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You just feel like, like you could conquer the world. And God allowed me to do that. God wanted me to do that. And you could, you could feel. And so many of us have felt that. Many of us like Samson, we have a personal testimony about victory over the enemy, whether it be in the prayer life or in the, on the battlefield. We've got testimonies of victory. The testimonies of God's power, God's power. But like Samson, At this point, his story is not over, and neither is ours. So we've got more to learn from Samson. We can't just cut it off and say, "That's I've learned everything that I need to learn. Because up to this point, all he has done is saw a woman from Timnath, a woman of the Philistines. But, There's coming a lot more, Brother Bobby. And you and I have got a lot to learn from what he has to say. Let's stand.